Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Monica Berg, international speaker, spiritual thought leader, author and co-host of the Spiritually Hungry podcast. A self-proclaimed change junkie, Monica is a fresh voice and she channels her many years of Kabbalistic study along with personal life experiences. Monica shows individuals how to create a life that not only feels like it's working, but most importantly, a life in which they are living and loving as the powerful, fulfilled person they've always wanted to be. Now, Monica has not always been in this place. She has overcome an eating disorder, and today she's going to talk about her own experience of overcoming this through her teen years. She's also going to talk about how she supports individuals today to overcome fears and to become their most authentic and fulfilled selves. I'm also keen to explore Monica's books, and I'm particularly intrigued by the gift of being different. I think that sounds really interesting, and I think that is something that many people who are listening to this podcast might relate to. So let's get to the conversation. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for coming on the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. So Monica, please go get you introduce yourself to the listeners for those people who don't know you. I always, this question gets me, believe it or not, because there's many things that I actually do. So my husband and I co-direct the Kabbalah Center. We also have a popular podcast called Spiritually Hungry. I also travel around the world speaking on Kabbalah and spirituality. I'm an author. So many, many different things (laughs) throughout the day. But I think that the drive behind everything that I do is the same. And that is to help people learn to truly love and accept themselves so that they can live the life that they really desire, but perhaps don't think is possible. And to really remove any kind of limiting beliefs or the ways that we kind of get in our own way and think that we need to live a difficult life or a hard one or one that consists of suffering. So a lot of my work is around reframing and rethinking what you think you already know about life, but also about yourself. Mm. So it sounds a lot about, I guess, one, like becoming your most fulfilled self and also that going with a lot of kind of ease and flow and life not being such a struggle. Absolutely. Life to be, even from our most challenging moments, that is the opportunity for extreme growth and transformation, which ultimately leads to happiness and fulfillment that's lasting and not fleeting. Mm. So Monica, I know you've been on your own sort of kind of healing journey to have got to this point that you're in today. Could you tell us a little bit about your sort of eating disorder experience, recovery, and then sort of how you have come to sort of practice what you're doing today? Yeah, it's interesting. If I look back in the totality of my life, there were certainly warning signs along the way before I developed anorexia and before that really kind of took over and consumed me. I remember moments where I might've felt sad. So the first thing I did unconsciously was restrict food or just different negative thoughts. And I've written about this in my first book, Fear is Not an Option, where I have a chapter called I Never Have to Eat Again, because I remember the moment 
that thought came in my mind, I felt so much external pressure. And internally, I felt like a pressure cooker. And this thought just kind of came that that's what I'm going to do. I'm just not going to eat again. Like, yeah, that's what I'll do. And it was a weird kind of like, I remember the exact moment. I remember the dinner. I remember the triggers. But there were moments for sure and warning signs that nobody caught. So I think that I've gone back and I've looked at my life and I've looked at and I've understood now that it is genetic. And of course, there are things that need to awaken that, right? Not just because a person has the gene, will they develop anorexia? There's environmental issues. There's family dynamics that contribute. And there's also personality type. And I was one that was a perfectionist, very, very critical of myself. And that's why today I do call myself a change junkie because I've now gone to the opposite spectrum and really gone against my nature to choose to be a different kind of person, one that embraces the messy and embraces the gray. That's where I'm most happiest because the other pursuit was a dead end, really, ultimately. Mm. So I guess for many people listening as well, like their eating disorder will be a very kind of safe kind of coping strategy. They might not feel at the moment that they can even contemplate change. There may be a lot of fears around that. So how did you begin to sort of move out of that very, that sort of prison, I guess, of the disorder? And I know this is a big question, (laughs) but to start to shift more towards the shades of grey and being able to embrace change in that different way. Well, it's interesting because I think for anybody who has an eating disorder, control is a big aspect of it. I think the more out of control we feel, the more we desire to control. So I think that definitely my spirituality helped me for sure, because then I started to think about bigger ideas, right? And my purpose in this life and what it could be. And I understood that control is kind of ridiculous because we can never really control anything in life. Of course, we can have goals and we can have desires and we can move towards those, but we can't really control the outcome. We never know what's going to be. And that fear of the unknown is a universal one. Now, again, for some, it develops into these kinds of disorders. But I think the first thing is to just see where you're at with your thinking and your belief systems and how that affects how you treat yourself and what you think of yourself. For me, I really had an aha moment. I call it the gift of sight, as that's part of with anorexia. You know, you really, again, it sounds far out. But unless you've experienced this, you can imagine how somebody would see this. But I would look in the mirror and I saw a skeletal version of myself every single day while I was in the throes of anorexia. One day, for whatever reason, I was in the bathroom and there was something that I did daily. I called it the pinch test. And I would lift up my shirt. I was the morning, so I had a nightgown on and I would pinch my stomach between my index finger and my thumb. And in my mind, right, what I saw, it was like this big, big chunk of fat. And really it was skin. I mean, I was emaciated, but for whatever reason that morning, I saw myself for what I really looked like. And I was terrified. I started to scream at the top of my lungs. I was screaming for my mother. I was a teenager and she was always afraid that my heart would give out. So she was already like, what, what? Like she comes running to the bathroom And I started crying. I said, what did I do? What have I done to myself? I mean, I was horrified and I was in shock. Although I could only see for five minutes, right? Because then I went back to the distorted vision of myself that I had at the time. I knew then that I had a problem that was undeniable. And the second thing I knew was that I could no longer 
trust my five senses. Even though I saw it doesn't mean that it's real. That understanding has helped me through everything in life, right? When you adopt that kind of belief system, you don't judge other people. You don't take, oh, well, I saw it. So it must be true. There's a lot of other things that could be happening. In that moment, I knew that I needed help. And then I started to pursue that. Mm. And was it at that stage as well that you were drawn to the sort of Kabbalistic study or did that come later? Well, interestingly enough, I was raised for the most, I was born in the South in Louisiana. I lived in New Orleans. Then we moved to Beverly Hills in California. And now I live in New York. But at the time I went to Beverly Hills High School, again, a lot of different pressures, especially in Beverly Hills. There's a standard of beauty there. And there's a certain kind of lifestyle. There's this pressure of what you look like externally. We're three sisters in my family. There was just a lot of like focus on external. So my parents started to get concerned, not about I wasn't anorexic yet, but just in terms of like, am I getting on the wrong path? Am I influenced by the wrong thing? So they had introduced me to Kabbalah when I just turned 17. So I had kind of started studying and then I fully started studying and then I actually became anorexic. So I already had access to the wisdom. And I think that for me, what really helped is that when I started, when I realized that I had a problem, I knew that I needed to learn to love myself. So I started to take the teachings and instead of just having it be a heady pursuit, I really internalized it. And I thought, okay, how can I make this applicable to where I'm at and who I want to become? And that really changed everything for me. Mm. So can you say a little bit more about that? Because I know I was a bit intrigued myself, because I don't really know much about Kabbalah at all. I read something about, and I'd like to expand on this, about sort of transforming and perfecting our positive traits and transcending our negative qualities. And I'm sure it's much more than this, but could you just expand a little bit more, please? Yes, it's ancient 3,000-year-old wisdom, and a person could study it their whole lives and just scratch the surface, right? But yes, at its core, the understanding is that we are meant to leave this world in a more elevated, transformative state than how we entered it. That's the purpose of our existence and our evolution. With that understanding, and what's really freeing about this wisdom and expansive is that most people think, well, you know, this is just how I am, or nature versus nurture, what influences a person most? Can you really change your nature? Is this just part of your personality? And Kabbalah teaches, yes, you are able to and meant to transform anything that you desire. So the interesting thing here, and I often say this to people, if you really want to change yourself, you have to fully love yourself, even the parts of yourself that you may not like. From that space, you can create change. So I started to really look at myself and say, okay, these parts of my personality or my essence do work for me, but this other part doesn't work for me. And I really started to pick and choose how I wanted to navigate life based on that. So to grow the things that maybe I don't have and that I think would serve me, like being flexible, being more open-minded, being kinder to myself, learning to really love myself. And then the parts that I already did like, like being organized and disciplined, use that in a healthy way instead of a punishing way. So Kabbalah really was everything for me. It was the canvas for which I could create, no question. Mm, sure. So it sounds as well like having that kind of structure and I'm sure there's like a lot of like reading and all the wisdom that goes along with that. Was that really sort of helpful as well as a kind of guide? And I guess it's something to really offer kind of purpose and vision and something much bigger than the eating disorder. 
Absolutely. I think that I often have an issue with labels generally, because when you label something, you limit the person to that. So for instance, it could be any label. If they have that thing, they have all the things that are going to go with it. I have four children. One of my children was born with Down syndrome, and I found out a few hours after his birth. And when he was born, they listed all the things that he would never be able to do, to say, to think. I mean, really just like telling me to give up on him when he was a day old, which I refused to do. And again, I look back at my experience with anorexia, and I see it as such a great tool because it really was the making of me. And if I had taken, okay, well, he can't do this because he has Down syndrome, right? I would have limited him. And honestly, they were shocked with all the things that he could do because I never had that voice in my head. So with anorexia also, I think that we need to be careful not to become the diagnosis or the disease. Because if you look at the numbers of recovery and the statistics, it's pretty grim. And it's not very hopeful. And if you look at a lot of the different kinds of therapies, some they don't even use anymore. Others they do, but they have severe side effects. I think it's just dealing with like, okay, we're going to deal with this disease because this person has now a mental issue and it can't really be changed. What I'm suggesting, what I know fully works is it worked for me. For me to have had, I was in the throes of an eating disorder. I was a double zero. And by the way, I've never been bigger than a size. It didn't come from that I went on a crazy diet and it took too far. I had to get to a place where I really learned to love and accept myself. And then from there, choose who I want to become, change my thoughts, because when you change your thoughts, your actions also change. And that's the transformation that Kabbalah offers, but it could be any spirituality. But I do think Mm -hmm. in healing this kind of situations. Again, I don't want to call it a disease, but whether it's bulimia or any kind of limiting insecurities or disorders or anything like that, it really has to come from changing your relationship with self. I mean, that is the starting and the end point. And it sounds like when you are focusing on your different qualities or the things perhaps you'd want to change, the qualities you wanted to keep and enhance, I guess it sounds like it's very like linked to your sort of values and tapping into your deeper values is it, and what's really important to you. Well, I think that it's a good way to know what you believe. I think part Mm -hmm. of the issue with having an eating disorder is that you really don't know who you are. You really don't know what you believe. And that's why I think it's easy to get overwhelmed with what others think or what our parents might expect. Or it's a lot of that kind of external feedback and information we're getting. And then we take it in. We don't know what to do with it. So I'm suggesting that if we explore that and we really learn to say, okay, well, you might come to the conclusion that you don't know what you believe. Well, that's okay. So start to discover it. Start to learn about yourself. Start to put yourself in situations and then give yourself emotional feedback. Okay, I don't like the way that I handled that conversation or I don't like the way I handled myself in this situation. What do I want to do differently instead of beating yourself up for it? It's a lot of that kind of process. And by the way, I'm so grateful again that I didn't have a choice about doing this work. It was either do it or die. So Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I was that extreme for me because it really helped me find my voice and who I want to become and who I still am becoming, right? Versus Mm -hmm. other people who never have this severity of like, they need to make that decision and they're still struggling with, what do I believe? Do I love myself, right? This is not unique to people who have anorexia or Mm -hmm. body dysmorphia or any kind of eating disorder, by the way. I was actually at the gym this morning and the girls in the locker room with all of the stress in the world today, she's like, every time I look at my phone, I'm an emotional eater. I just keep eating every time I open my phone. And I wasn't part of the conversation. I was kind of just listening. I was in the background. But again, this isn't just unique to somebody who's gone to the deep end with it, right? It's a universal issue. So I'm suggesting that for every person, you know, this is a very important pursuit. It's a necessary one. And even if you don't have any disorder, you're going to have this desire to 
feel good in your own skin. Mm. You talked a few moments ago about discovery and perhaps experimenting. And so I guess often when we've had any kind of mental health issue or struggling with our self-worth, we often don't know who we are, do we, our likes and dislikes. It sounds like you would be really encouraging getting out there and perhaps just taking those baby steps to experiment and then to reflect on how did I feel in that situation and get that kind of feedback and sort of to go inwards. So you start to get to know yourself and start to have that feedback loop, I guess, and begin to build a bit of self-trust. Absolutely. I'm a big advocate for journaling. That was a very powerful tool I used when I was in my recovery. It's a way for you to be able to have access to your thoughts and feelings that may seem fleeting at the moment or overwhelming. And especially if there are a lot of negative thoughts that are repetitive, they might just be part of how you always think. So you don't think anything of it. But when you put it on paper and you then look at it maybe later in the evening or the next day, or even at the end of the week, which I really do encourage your listeners to do, ask yourself, like, is this who I want to be? Why do I feel this way? Why do I think these things? And then you kind of put a flashlight onto it and you're able to say, okay, I'm going to challenge that thought. And even if you feel like you believe that negative thought wholeheartedly, then make another column on the other side with positive affirmations, because whatever you say or think enough is going to be part of your being and your essence. And yeah, I don't like the saying you have to fake it till you make it, but there is truth in that. Mm. And I think it's really highlighting the fact, isn't it? You know, this sort of insightful, reflective work, it does take time and us putting some time aside to be quiet, to like get to know ourselves, to write down our thoughts and maybe taking some time to challenge them, think about things differently, just to start to have more awareness. And I think sometimes when you're struggling, you might be going to therapy for an hour a week or something. If we can engage in something like journaling or finding some other way to be reflective, we can really like start to tap into our wisdom, can't we? And to really start to make some change when we sort of develop that as a practice. 1000%, 1000%. Often we think, and this is also universal, we don't think that we can affect enough change, not in the world and certainly not in our own lives. So we wait for others to do that for us. We wait to the experts to tell us how to do it. I'm just saying, start here, really start to hear the voice in your head. Is it kind or is it punishing and start to change it to your favor? And that's really the beginning of healing. In my book, Fears on an Option, I actually, at the end of the book, I dedicated a chapter to my daughters because it was basically everything that I learned through this process of recovery and and of having anorexia in the first place. You know, I often tell my daughters, I'm like, believe this now for yourself, right? It took me a lifetime to get here. I'd love to share it with you if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's called Seven Things I Want My Daughters to Know to Become Fearless Women. And I dedicate the chapter to them. So the first is your body is part of your expression. You are physically strong. Use your body, your strong legs, your graceful hands, and your sassy hips. Remain fearless in your body and don't ever allow yourself to hate any part. Your body is perfect and strong. It took me a long time to get there. The second one is never be ashamed of your passions because I feel like shame and guilt and blame are sisters to this kind of disorder. So follow your bliss, do what speaks to you, read about what interests you, be friends with people you like, and don't let others' opinions about what you love embarrass you. Never give up on who you are, what you believe in for someone else. You are 100% worthwhile and whole just as you are. Third, 
make friends. As Epicurus stated, of all things that wisdom provides for living one's entire life in happiness, the greatest by far is the possession of friendship. Always be open to making new friends. Old friends who are true are not going to be alienated by new friends. Not every friend will stay in your life forever, and that's okay. Some friends come to us to particular times of life and then go when that time period is over. While it hurts to lose a friend, it should never keep you from being open and sharing yourself with new people. Remember, everyone in your life started out as a stranger. Talk to me even if we disagree. I think this is really important, and not just mother, daughter. I think in any relationship, because I remember this was a big one for me when I had anorexia. You know, any kind of disagreement would spiral, I would spiral out of control emotionally, then which would lead to restriction of eating. You can always tell me what you're feeling or thinking, even if you know I'll disagree. It's okay to disagree with me. I want you to feel safe to express any emotion and share any scenario with me. Know that I love you unconditionally and there's nothing you could ever do or say that will make me stop loving you. You have a unique voice and I always want to hear it. I learn from you all the time and I don't want to miss any of the lessons you have to teach me. Five, you are beautiful. I know I'm your mom and you sense bias, but it's the truth. In your face, I see the baby you were, the beautiful girl you are today and the woman you will one day become. Know your worth and your value. Don't waste years of your life trying to convince yourself that you are beautiful and powerful and special. You are. Don't waste your time feeling less than. You are more than enough and you will accomplish great things. Six, you are your own person. You and I have many things in common, but you aren't me. You're not destined to live the life I have or experience the same challenges. Your path is your own and I want very much to help guide you where your unique spirit needs to take you. And seven, It's them, not you. Nearly every time someone hurts you, lashes out, or says something that makes you feel insecure or unworthy, it's a manifestation of their own pain. It has very little to do with you other than you happen to be in their proximity. Everyone is fighting their own battles and conflicts will arise. People will be hurtful or nasty, and yes, it will hurt. Just remember, it's really not about you. It's about them. While you can learn something from every experience, you do not need to accept their judgments as facts. Oh, thank you for sharing. <laughs> so thank you for your really smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's from your book. Did you say it's called Fear is Not an Option? Yes. Mm. Yeah, no, wonderful. Have you got that printed out somewhere in your home? <laughs> well, I've dedicated the book. I've written mm. a dedication to each of the kids. And so they have it on their book stands, which is really powerful. You know, and I wrote them a personal message. Yeah. But yeah, it's for daughters. It's for sons. It's for people to give to the people they love the most, those thoughts, those are my new belief systems, right? And that was Mm -hmm. the work of, and the journey really to recovery. And it's possible for everybody. I know it seems like it's not at times, but it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Monica, could you tell us as well, because I believe you've got another two books as well, is that right? My other book is called Rethink Love, and I'm working on a third called Thriving Through Lifequakes. And then I have a children's series of books. The first one that I co-wrote with my youngest daughter, actually, Abigail. The first one is called The Gift of Being Different. And the second one's coming out in the spring, and that's called The Tale of the Other Glove. And each book talks about a different social issue or economic issue or something that's going on in the world, and then gives the spiritual tool to kind of remedy it. So in the first book, Abigail talks about feeling different and then she discovers she has dyslexia 
And then she realizes that is her superpower, in fact, and that being different, and we all are different, is really a superpower that each person has and makes them unique and therefore powerful. The second book talks about unhoused people and how the spiritual remedy for that is really empathy and the power of empathy. So they all kind of go in that way, in that theme. Mm, Eventually, I actually want to write about anorexia, but not just anorexia, the ways that we harm ourselves physically and emotionally and mentally. I'm going to wait. That's going to be probably like book seven or so. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, fantastic. And you seem to be like quite on a roll with your writing. Is that very much like part of your work practice now? Is it very much embedded in your in cycles writing books? Yeah, very much. I never set out to be an author. I think the journaling probably started that, but I realized that I love sharing through writing and I find it very cathartic and I don't have shame about anything that I've experienced. And therefore, when I realize something or I have a new epiphany or understanding, I also very much bring in my own personal examples because I think that gives people permission to be able to be vulnerable as well and realize that we are all and in the middle of a process and there's no shame in that. You know, nobody is meant to be at the end of the process. When they are, they're not going to be here anymore. So to really give people that permission. Mm, yeah, and it's so helpful. And Monica, can I just ask you as well about the little things and finding joy or kind of glimmers in those little moments? I know that's something that you've written about. And could you say a little bit more about that? Well, I think to live a successful life, it's really finding appreciation and gratitude and the little thing. It's not going to be in those big moments, but it's in the ways that you are able to show up for yourself. For a stranger, it's about waking up in the morning, realizing that we all are so blessed to have the freedom to choose how we want to live and how we want to respond to our experiences. I mean, if you look at life that way, life is truly beautiful. And even the things that are challenging, if you look for the purpose in them and don't see it as, you know, oh, I deserve this horrible thing, but rather, okay, there's something for me to learn here. When you do that, you really start to enjoy life and find pleasure in it in a way that you didn't know was possible. And it's not going to be from anything external. You'll find that your greatest comfort is the way you feel about yourself, that you are able to make good choices for you. But in order to do that, you really have to hear the voice in your head. You have to raise that and become more audible. You know, we tend to lower that voice to a place where we don't even hear it anymore. And we are so clear about what everybody else thinks about us and what they expect from us. And that really has to switch. Yeah, and it's so true. And I know for myself, actually, although I'm quite passionate about written journaling, I like really speaking aloud as well. And I found just using my voice and kind of audio has been a really helpful tool for me. So I guess it's just finding your own way, isn't it, of just trying to connect with that voice and to really strengthen it. I'm just so with you, really. That's where the peace and the magic and the joy comes, doesn't it? When you really form that connection with yourself and you know yourself and then you can like pursue your purpose all the good things. A thousand percent. And if you're in the middle of really struggling, you can change that at any moment. You can actually just start to, right? By using some of the things we spoke about, but also know that the fact that you've experienced what you're experiencing shows that you have a great deal of emotional ability to feel other people and to have empathy. But again, you have to be healthy first to be able then to help others. But I think that that's part of the opportunity in finding yourself in the situation. It could be to really find your voice and make sure it's a powerful one to really help change the world and change the lives of others and influence them. Because at the end of the day, I think we all have a desire to be purposeful in that way. Yeah, and no, it's so true. So Monica, where can people find you if they would like to get in touch or find out more about the work that you're doing? 
On social media, you can find me at Monica R. Berg 74. My blog is called RethinkLife.today. And my podcast is called Spiritually Hungry. You can find my books on Amazon or on Kabbalah.com. Hey, lovely. All right. Which I'll make sure that all of those links go in the show notes. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank you so much, Monica, for coming on the podcast today. I think it's been a really inspiring conversation and the listeners are going to get so much value. So I really appreciate your time and for sharing all your wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Have a great Take day. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Monica's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.